Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. So they went out, fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. It's a rather abrupt way to end the story. Just expressions of fear on the faces of the three women at the empty tomb. Yet that's all there is in the best and the most ancient manuscripts of the gospel according to Mark. Shouldn't there be something a bit more jubilant in a resurrection gospel? Something missing? There are other quite ancient manuscripts in which a more complete ending has been added which in most of our modern translations is actually printed in brackets. One of those alternate endings runs fully 11 verses. The so-called shorter ending of Mark adds just two sentences. It says, And all that had been commanded them they told briefly to those around Peter. Afterwards, Jesus himself sent out through them from east to west the sacred and imperishable proclamation of eternal salvation. Thing is, the style of Greek in those additional endings is quite unlike the rest of Mark. Mark's story is really simple in its language. This one, I mean, I could hardly say it in English, much less in Greek. While it does draw things to a conclusion, does take the reader past the looks of terror and amazement on the faces of the three women, you have to ask, I mean, is that what Mark intended? Biblical scholars have long speculated as to whether or not some piece of Mark's original has been lost. To just end things with nothing nothing more than this look of fear on the faces of Mary Magdalene, Salome, and Mary, the mother of James, It just seems so unfinished, right? Who can blame a later editor for wanting to draw things to a more satisfying conclusion? Yet it's entirely plausible this is exactly what Mark intended. I mean, right from the start, Mark's telling of the gospel story is clipped, urgent, and fast paced. The musician Nick Cave characterizes it in his brief introduction to Mark's gospel. Mark wrote with such breathless insistence, such compulsive narrative intensity, that one is reminded of a child recounting some amazing tale, piling fact upon fact as if the whole world depended on it, which of course to Mark it did. Straight away and immediately link one event to another. Everyone runs, shouts, is amazed, inflaming Christ's mission with a dazzling urgency. Mark's gospel, says Nick Cave, Mark's gospel is a clatter of bones, so raw, nervy, and lean on information that the narrative aches with the melancholy of absence. A clatter of bones, Cave calls this gospel. And I suppose you could say that the most notable clattering is found in this final scene, with the women running in terror 
from the tomb. If it leaves us wanting more, maybe that was Mark's point. As the novelist Reynolds Price puts it, in the end, Mark's message stands as a challenge. This is my story, suddenly told. You tell it from here. I've told my story as best I can, Mark seems to be saying. Now what are you going to do about it? His is the oldest of the four Gospels, written on the eve of the destruction of Jerusalem and of of Jerusalem's temple at the hands of an increasingly hostile Roman Empire. This claim of an empty tomb is one that should rightly fill its readers with both amazement but also with fear. For if it is true, that means that you must then make the claim that Jesus is Lord. If the resurrection is true, then Jesus is Lord. And if Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. That's a dangerous claim, a terrifying claim. Mark ends by saying that the women said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Yet we know that they did find their tongues. They did tell of what they'd seen and heard. The other three Gospels are clear that the women do go and tell Peter and the others, and that as the days roll forward, the resurrected Christ will appear to them. He'll speak to them, eat with them, and in one particularly poignant scene from the Gospel according to John, the risen Christ will even grill a little breakfast for them by the lake. Then there's the passage we read from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, an epistle that actually predates Mark by a decade or so. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes of how Jesus was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and how he appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the Twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles, The story will not be left hidden in mute fear. The resurrected Jesus will not be so contained. Last of all, Paul adds, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. As to one untimely born. By which Paul's pointing to the fact that his own experience of meeting the risen Christ is on the road to Damascus. And it comes not within days or weeks of the resurrection, but years. Yet that experience moves Paul to take up the role of apostle, to proclaim this news that by grace the power of death has been defeated, so that people may come to believe. So no, the story was not held in the mute fear of the women. It had to spread. It had to go like wildfire, and it did. But the challenge of Mark's gospel in its odd ending remained. This is my story, suddenly told. You tell it from here. Now, Mark's very earliest audiences usually would have heard the story read aloud in a gathering, straight through from beginning to end in one sitting. And at its end, at this strange end, the testifying would have surely begun. This is what I experienced. This is what this story meant to me. This is how my life changed when I met the risen Christ. Oh, this is what I heard from Peter. 
or from Magdalene, or from James and John when they were still alive. Mark's ending would have lit a fire of other stories in community. So its challenge remained. And truth be told, Mark's challenge still rings true. This is my story, suddenly told. Now you tell it from here. That's to us. So tell it in words if you can or if you must, but tell the story from here. Tell it in the fabric of your lives, in the choices you make, in the way you live. Tell the story from here by being a child of the new commandment given us on the night of Jesus' arrest, that we love one another as we have first been loved, to meet one another in a posture of servanthood and of friendship. Tell the story from here by actually giving a damn about the people in your world who the world has sloughed off as being worthless. Tell it by doing for the least of these my people. Tell the story from here by taking seriously Paul's words in Colossians that through Christ God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. By making peace through the blood of his cross, all things reconciled, which means that this earth matters. Things of earth matter. The earth itself matters. And as a resurrection people, we'd better find ways to start living as if it does. Tell the story from here by living in the sure knowledge that Jesus is Lord, which means that there is no monarch, no emperor, no Caesar, no government, no principality or power that can even begin to ask of us life and death allegiance. The only one who can do that is the one who has defeated death and promised us life. Tell the story from here by not being afraid of death. For death does not have the final word. It didn't for Jesus, and because of that, it doesn't for us. In whatever ways you can, in whatever ways we can, Mark reaches across 2,000 years with his odd ending and says, tell it from here. Keep telling it from here. It's our story, the one we wrestle in, the one we treasure, the one we proclaim, and the one we have to set loose however we can. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen.